All right. Um, you know, there are all kinds of clubs, different clubs of all manner. There's kids' clubs like cross trainers. There's book clubs. There's swim clubs. There's a cricket club. There's yacht clubs. There are golf clubs, fitness clubs, sailing clubs, community service clubs. There are all kinds of clubs. Today, we're going to look in the scriptures to see a club which no believer should want to be a part of. It's the club of the thankless, the club of the thankless. And in the record of Jesus Christ's miracle found in Luke 17, verses 11 to 19, there is a small contingent group that made up the club of the thankless. There were nine persons in this club of the thankless, but I've come to understand that these nine thankless persons really became representative of a whole bunch more thankless people through the centuries that followed the miracle. And so please turn your Bibles to Luke 17, verses 11 to 19. And we're going to hear the word of God together. And it came about while he was on the way to Jerusalem that he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a certain village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance, met him. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And it came about that as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw what had, that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who turned back to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. For the Christian... Thankfulness is not seasonal. It's not even situational. For the Christian, thankfulness is to be continual. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, we hear this. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Yes, for the Christian, we are to be Continually thankful. And for the Christian, there are spiritual things for which to give thanks. Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? If you're saved, you've been given freely many spiritual blessings for which you must be thankful. Forgiveness, grace, justification, regeneration, Sanctification, answered prayer, the Bible, the church family, the precious Holy Spirit. We could go on and on and on for all of the spiritual blessings we have in Jesus Christ for which we should be continually thankful. But there's more than spiritual things for which to thank God. There are also temporal blessings for which to thank the Lord. In Romans 8, 28, well-known verse, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. 
God causes all things, like our circumstances, positive and negative, like our, his providences in our lives, like the trials we are called to go through from time to time. Yes, for the believer, we are to be continually thankful, thankful for the spiritual blessings we have in Jesus Christ, and thankful for the temporal blessings which God showers us with daily. Really, thankfulness should be our uniform. Thankfulness should be our uniform as Jesus' followers. It should be one of the first things that persons see when they see us. Thankfulness. And accordingly, the club of the thankless should have zero born-again Christians as members. But, like me, you probably know plenty of Christians who are complainers. There's always something for which to thank the Lord. Maybe you've heard of the man who complained that he had no shoes until he saw a man who had no feet. Really, being thankful is a great privilege as well as a duty. The truth is that every time we assemble in this sanctuary to worship the Lord, we must be unanimous in being thankful to God. As you sit here, as I stand here, all of us should have an attitude of thanks. Maybe it's like this. When I preach the word of God, God makes a motion, this morning, a motion that we would be thankful. And in the pulpit, I second that motion, first raised by God in his word. And then I call for the question by inviting the Holy Spirit to call for the question of us. Will we vote in favor of God's motion that has been seconded? And this morning, the motion that we all would be thankful. Recently, I had a wonderful conversation with a brother in this assembly. Clearly, he votes in favor of God's seconded motion that he be thankful to God. The brother said something like this. I'm not exactly quoting, but very close to what he said. Pastor, I didn't always have work or money. It feels so good to come to church now with my wallet a little thick. And then I give my offering to God and then I leave the service with my wallet a little thinner. I thank God that I can give. It feels so good. That brother is not in the club of the thankless. And he has no thought of joining the club either. And so when we look at this miracle, again, I'll refresh your memory with the details Luke 17, 11, and 19. And it came about while he was on the way to Jerusalem that he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a certain village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And it came about that as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who turned back to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well, and so you heard it. The Lord Jesus walking toward Jerusalem, 
through the region of Galilee, very near to the border of the region to Samaria. Generally speaking, Jews detested Samaritans. Probably most Samaritan-hating Jews would have thought Jesus was imprudent to have been that close to the border to the region of Samaria on his trip. Nonetheless, Jesus was there. And when he entered a certain village, he met 10 lepers. This text says they were at a distance. That's because leprosy, according to Jewish law, required that they kept a distance of, I think it was 100 feet from anyone that they would be anywhere near, at least a 100-foot cushion, a space between a leper and a, and a hole and a, a healthy person, lest they would catch the leprosy. So these men were following protocol. They were at a distance, but they called out to Jesus, and they asked Jesus to heal them. Obviously, they must have heard of Jesus Christ's power to heal at this point in his ministry. And again, they were at a distance, and they asked the Lord for mercy, and they asked the Lord for healing. And certainly by just the virtue of asking for healing, they had some measure of faith in Christ. I mean, just by asking, they had some degree of faith in Jesus that he could heal them. But that measure of faith was to be just a beginning. They were to express faith in Christ in a very practical way. After they asked Jesus to heal them, he told them to go and to see the priests. And as they turned from Christ to walk toward the priests, they were demonstrating a second stage of faith. The first stage in Jesus was Heal us, have mercy on us. The second stage, when Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priests, they went. That was the second stage in their faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus called these men to have faith in him by calling them to search out the Jewish priests. The ten had to go. That was Jesus' prescription. The lepers who were Jewish knew exactly what those Seven words meant, go show yourselves to the priests. At least nine of them knew exactly what that meant. They were Jewish. They knew that by being told to go to show themselves to the priests, that they would be healed by the time they got to the priests. Because in the Old Testament setup, God willed it, planned it, and revealed it that the priests of Israel would be like doctors are today in the sense that they were the only ones who could examine a leprous person and pronounce them to be clean, whole, healed. It'd be something like being at the airport and an airline agent telling you to go to the TSA agent to show her your boarding pass. The airline agent only decides to send you to TSA agent because your boarding pass is legit. It lines up with your passport, and the TSA agent is expected to deem these things to be in good order so that you can board the plane. To get on the plane, you have to go to the TSA agent. To be healed, the 10 lepers had to go to the priests. That's how the Lord expected them to show their faith in him in a stage two manner after having shown their faith in him in a stage one manner by asking Jesus to heal them. Now, what happened next was rather interesting. Baseball season is on the horizon. I love baseball. Spring training has started. 
baseball season, in terms of baseball, the Lord went 10 for 10. The lepers went 1 for 10. Jesus went 10 for 10. He healed all of them. But the healed lepers only went 1 for 10. Only one returned to Jesus and asked him to accept their worship and to accept their thanks. Verses 15 to 18 Now one of them, when he saw what he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered, were there not ten cleansed, but the nine, where are they? Was no one found to turn back to give glory to God except this foreigner? Apparently the... Ten outcasts were walking to wherever the priests were, and one leper on the walk noticed that his leprosy was gone. Boy, that must have been an exhilarating, eye-popping, freeing hope turned to reality. And verses 15 and 16 that I have read report that this one healed man, number one, turned back, Number two, glorified God with a loud voice. Number three, fell on his face at Jesus' feet. That was a posture reserved only for God. Persons in the Jewish nation who fell on their face, prostrate, worshiped God. That's what this Samaritan did. And fourth, he gave thanks to Jesus who he realized had to be God because Jesus healed him of leprosy. And what did the other nine lepers do? Well, apparently they just kept on walking to find the priests. Looks like they saw the one man turn back to Jesus and they were unfazed. It looks like they heard the one healed man loudly thanking God for his healing. But it looked like they ignored the fact that the one healed man was leaving them in favor of finding Jesus. It looks like they were more about get on with it than thank you very much for it. Put some other ways, the choice of the nine was to leave any thanks that they had in their hearts unexpressed. The choice of the nine was that the priest examiners were of much higher priority than the healer. The choice of the nine was that the gift took precedence over the giver. The choice of the nine was to get pronounced healed and clean and good for re-entry into society as soon as possible. The choice of the nine was not to delay getting to the priest's. The choice of the nine was that worship could wait. The choice of the nine was that getting on was better than going back. The choice of the nine was Jesus will understand. (laughs) We're busy. And so let me return with you to the one thankful leper who was a Samaritan. Not only did he turn back to Jesus, not only did he glorify God with a loud voice, not only did he fall on his face at Jesus' feet, not only did he give thanks to Jesus as God, but the one healed leper 
was a Samaritan. Again, as I've told you, the Jews detested and denigrated and avoided Samaritans. The Jews saw Samaritans as half-breeds, as religious apostates. They saw the Samaritans as being unclean and unblessed, as being outside of all the covenants that God gave to Israel. Jews saw Samaritans as being ignorant, enemies, foreigners. In Jesus' own word in verse 18, Jesus called the healed Samaritan a foreigner. And perhaps the lowest label that Jews put on Samaritans was dogs, like scavenger, dirty, street dogs. Yet, verse 15, now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who turned back to give glory to God except this foreigner? Clearly, the Lord Jesus wanted all of the healed men to be thankful. That's why he said, but the nine, where are they? Could it be that this morning the Lord Jesus asked the incredible body of Christ so gathered, but the 75, where are they? And could it be that Christ asks when your family is around the table with a Bible in the middle, but the seven, where are they? Or could it be that this week in your early morning times with the Lord in devotion and Bible and prayer, could the Lord be saying, but the one, where is he? Where is she? You know, gratitude to God goes a long way in fixing a church's problems. Gratitude to God fixes the worship problem, the attendance problem, the financial giving problem, the Christian worker problem. Gratitude to God solves the disunity problem, the critical spirit problem, and the prayer problem. Gratitude to God solves a whole bunch of problems. Verse 17. And Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? It is significant to me that in verse 15, we see the little phrase, turned back. And then again, in verse 18, we see the same little phrase, turned back. Mentioned a second time. That's significant. We all would do very well to notice that the nine that did not turn back to Jesus didn't please Jesus. It was only the one who did turn back to Jesus with thanks that Christ found pleasing. Now, I want you to grab on to what I'm going to say next. If we are going to be thankful to God as we ought to be, then we are going to have to turn back to Jesus. 
If I am going to be as thankful to God as I ought to be, then I am going to have to turn back to Jesus. Apparently, for all of us, being thankful often involves turning back. Turning back to Jesus from self. Turning back to Jesus from procrastination. Turning back to Jesus from people-pleasing. Turning back to Jesus from convenient, no-cost or no-commitment Christianity. Turning back to Jesus from our busyness. Turning back to Jesus from the world system that cheerfully leaves Jesus Christ out of everything. Turning back to Jesus from our peers that aren't thankful to God. Turning back to Jesus from our money. Turning back to Jesus from our pride. If we are going to be thankful as we ought to be, we're going to have to turn back to Jesus from our idols. Want to be thankful? Turn back to Jesus. Perhaps you can sense the Spirit of God saying, this is what you are to turn back from, to turn back to Jesus. Likely, all of us are going to need to better face Jesus again and turn our back to whatever doesn't honor him or give him the first place. It's a joy to be thankful to God. It's a delight to be thankful to God. It's a privilege to worship God in thanksgiving. It's good and it's right to continually be thankful to God. And really, it's a dress rehearsal for heaven to be thankful to God on earth. One of the encouraging blessings of living and ministering in the Bahamas is how many of you regularly say when asked how you are, I'm thankful for life. I love that. You don't hear that where I grew up in Canada. I didn't hear that in the United States. I love it when believers here in this commonwealth say, I'm thankful for life. Beautiful. That lovely sentiment is the sentiment of the one leper in this miracle. And it's a lovely sentiment that wasn't the sentiment of the nine other men who were cured. And so this biblical sentiment of gratitude and turning one's back on some things which inhibit gratitude in favor of facing Jesus is a central theme of this miracle. Now, if we look a little closely, there's a stage three of the faith, that a stage three that only the one Samaritan cured leper had. All of the men had stage one faith, asking to be healed. All of the men had stage two faith, starting to go show themselves to the priests. But there was a stage three faith that only the Samaritan healed man had. He worshiped. He gave God thanks. He worshiped. 15, and one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. Glorifying God, worshiping God, 
praising God, thanking God. Stage three. Oh, ten of them had stage one faith, asking to be healed. Stage two faith, going to the priest, but only one, an, an unlikely one, had stage three faith. He returned to Jesus, glorified God, worshiped Jesus as God, the only one who could cleanse him of his leprosy. And Jesus said in verse 19 something absolutely rocking. Jesus said to the one who returned, your faith has made you well. Spiritually well, that is. The one thankful and healed leper was also saved in our terminology. He was saved by stage three faith. Let me explain why I know that. Jesus sent him on his way, not only physically healed, but spiritually healed. Jesus sent him on his way, forgiven of his sins. That day, the one thankful former leper was made whole outside and inside, made whole physically and spiritually, made whole with respect to his disease and with respect to his transgressions, made whole for earth and made whole for heaven. That day, the one thankful former leper was made whole temporally and eternally. How do I know that? Will you notice with me that in the account of this miracle, there's a difference made between cleansed, which appears in verses 14 and 17, and made well in verse 19. Different Greek words are used here. There's a difference between cleansed in verses 14 and 17 and made well in verse 19. All 10 were cleansed, but only one was made well. All 10 were cleansed according to verses 14 and 17, but only one was made well according to verse 19. All 10 were healed, but only one was spiritually healed. All 10 were cured, but only one was forgiven. Verse 19, and he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. There it is, has made you well. The other nine cured but unthankful men were made whole only outwardly, only physically. I've illustrated this before recently, but it bears repeating. If I want to bless someone with a steak dinner in Manhattan, the finest steak restaurant, and I phone ahead, I say, these people are coming on such and such a night. Whatever they order, I'll pay for it. Well, if they phone me the morning of the evening there to go to the steakhouse and don't have a ride, and I send a limousine to them to take them from where they live to the restaurant in Manhattan, when they get into the limo for that ride and don't have money to pay for the limo driver, then they're showing faith in me for a limo ride. But they still haven't got what I really wanted to give them, a very beautiful steak dinner. They don't have the gift of the steak dinner, the main gift that I want to give them until they order what they order off the menu and then they take their first bite of the food and they don't have money to pay for the dinner. Then they put their faith in me for the gift I want to give them, which is the dinner. And there are a lot of people who trust Jesus Christ for limo rides, but not for steak dinners. 
And so the nine had a different level of faith in Jesus than the one. Now, how do I know that salvation from sin is tied up in the Greek word translated in verse 19, made you well? Well, in the original Koine Greek of the New Testament, uh, made you well is actually better translated, has saved you. Let's read it that way. And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has saved you. The word which is used here in verse 19, the particular Greek word is the normal, typical New Testament word meaning saving from sin. And so this is rather amazing. It was only the one thankful Samaritan former leper who bothered to return to Jesus, who bothered to give Jesus glory as God with his gratitude. He was the only one of the ten who got salvation from his sins. Verse 11. And it came about while he was on the way to Jerusalem that he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a certain village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And it came about that as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who turned back to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. There are a few points I want to close with that are important points for our prayer lives and important points for our action. First, there is a club which none of us belong in. It's the club of the thankless. Second, for the Christian, thankfulness is not only to be seasonal and situational, but for the Christian, thankfulness is supposed to be continual. We have plenty of both spiritual and temporal blessings for which we should give God thanks. We are unthankful when we think that public worship in this sanctuary is optional. We are unthankful if we view public worship in this sanctuary week by week as an if I can fit it in with my other Sunday plans thing. We are unthankful when we are discontent when we grumble. We are unthankful when we grudgingly give to the offering bag. We are unthankful when 
we give ourselves too much credit and God not nearly enough credit. And so it's right to turn our back on anything that causes us to turn our back on Jesus. And now is the time for all of us to wage war against anything which chokes off thankfulness in our lives. It's necessary to turn our backs on self and pride. It's necessary to turn our back on indifference about persons going to hell. It's necessary to turn our backs on convenient, if it suits me, no cost, no commitment Christianity. It's time to turn our backs on busyness and on forgetfulness of God's blessings in our lives. It's time to turn our backs on greed. It's time to turn our backs on idols. These are gratitude quenchers that we can turn our backs to. And really, thankfulness, as I said earlier, is supposed to be the uniform, the uniform of every single Christian and one of the first things that everybody sees when they see us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your power to heal lepers. We thank you for the ways that you call us, as you called them, to have a faith in you. Lord, we would not ever want to be in the club of the thankless. And we would not want to have our gratitude be seasonal or situational, but may it be continual. May we pause and think about the spiritual and the temporal blessings for which to give you thanks. Lord, may we turn our backs on anything that causes us to turn our backs on Jesus. Help us to wage war against anything that chokes off ungratitude in our lives, ingratitude. Lord, may thankfulness be the uniform we wear. And we ask these things in Jesus' beautiful name and for Jesus' sake, amen.